in the huge events that shape our lives, the, the global ones and, and the ones that are personal, there usually, there are not many eyewitnesses. Not many people get to see it firsthand, whether that is someone landing on the moon or 9-11, the birth of a child. Most of life happens at a, at a distance without cameras or the ability for you to see it personally. We all get our news and we process its meaning through the lenses of other people. And when it comes to Christmas, I, I believe that movies and MSNBC and Fox and CNN, they aren't going to do it justice. We need to get closer to the scene. We need the facts, but we need more than the facts. We need the meaning of the story. So we're back to relying on eyewitnesses. Sammy Awad is a friend, a, a Christian who lives in Bethlehem, who has been here at the church a couple times. Sammy says, looking at the context of my Bethlehem now, not so very different politically and socially than Bethlehem back then, I believe that the lesson of the Christmas story is in the roles that the characters play, not their names. It's not so much about angels and shepherds and wise men as it is about the messengers and the witnesses and the supporters and the activists in the Christmas story. That made sense to me. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, it was incredible. That no speech by Dr. King, no choir of 10,000 angels, no event with the most amazing sound and light and smoke technology could even come close. But the angels were not there about the show. They were there about the message. They were the messengers of what was happening in Bethlehem. And they shared the facts. What was so interesting to me this year reading it was that I, I caught that the messengers give the facts. They don't even tell the shepherds to go and see. They just say that there is a sign that God is on the move. It's a baby wrapped up in cloth, lying in an animal trough. They were the messengers of good news. So the shepherds had to decide what to do with that message on their own. Because uh, hearing and being convicted by a message is not the same thing. Knowing the facts and seeing what has happened just make you a spectator. But they were called to be witnesses. Those days, anybody who responded to the news that the angels brought would be perceived as challenging the authority of the king. Herod had in place a regime that would have resulted in interrogation or punishment, or imprisonment, or even death for anybody who talked about another king. Remember, the text says, when Herod heard about the baby king, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem trembled with him. So imagine the conversation that the shepherds must have had after the angels left. It's not, let's go. I bet there were people who said, wow, that, that was amazing. I, I'm, I'm convinced, but hey, let's not get involved. We don't want to even be perceived as going against Herod. Let's, let's play it safe. 
Somebody else says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, who'd believe us? These are blue-collar guys. These are uneducated. They are looked down. They're nobodies. We can't do anything. Let's let the priests and the politicians and the media sort this all out. Or uh, somebody who was uh, religious would say, oh, that was amazing. I'm, I'm so inspired. I'm so deeply emotionally moved. Let's go back to church. Or let's go back to the sheep at least. But when something this big happens, even when it's supposed to be a secret, how do, how do you keep it in? How do you stop it? You're not supposed to talk about it, but it almost bursts out of you. It's like these images. Let me just show you a couple images. First is a little boy. His first A+. I think I recognize a young rich Fino. <laughs> I think that it's probably seconds that pass between the time that the teacher puts down the page, face down, the kid looks at it, yeah! It's not a secret anymore. Now, how about this next one? Here's a, a person who has kept a secret for years. They have dug in the side of a mountain, believing that there was treasure buried in there, nothing for decades, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, treasure. And what was to be kept secret comes bursting out. Or how, how about this one? This is a little girl who, um, who grew up essentially homeless. She spent much of high school living in the back seat of a car. And that's her acceptance letter to Harvard University. It was a secret, but not for long. In the same way, this next picture shows the challenge of timing. Until 14 seconds ago, this kid had stared at this box as long as it's been in the house. The secret has been kept from her. All the waiting has seemed interminable. And four seconds from now, everybody is going to know because it's changing her life. It happens, too, in, in relationships. We meet, we like, we love, we commit. We don't tell a lot of people because you never know how it's going to turn out, but I imagine the rest of the day, by accident, people are going to notice something is different. And in the same way, maybe at the deepest level, love turns into commitment, turns into let's try for life. And you don't want to say anything because you're not sure. And, and for sure, once you are sure, you want to make very careful that you tell the right people first. Because news like this changes lives, everybody's life. In the end, the shepherds wrestle with their fears and their doubts and their credibility. And they say, let's go. Let's go see. Let's not be spectators Let's bear witness. Spectators are just there for the show. Witnesses want to do something with what they've seen. Even if it means that they have to put their reputation on the line, they don't want to know about Christ. They want to experience Jesus. Touch it, see it, feel it, smell it. Know that something has changed forever. And it says 
In the text that Rich read, as they returned, they began to spread the word. They couldn't stop themselves. They spread the word even if it would come with a cost. We don't know if it did back then or today. Some of you know all the news about Jesus and his birth and his mission and his life and you even believe it, but you don't share it because you don't want to be known as one of them. In essence, you're still a spectator and and not a witness. There's the shepherds who become witnesses and then there's the wise men. They've not stopped at being witnesses. They've become supporters. For them, it wasn't enough to hear the story. They wanted to see the story. They became witnesses. But then they went on and what they add to the story is the sacrifice and value and energy and effort of following the king. They come to the king and they gave of their own, going great distances, offering what's precious to support the light that came into the world at Bethlehem. The gifts were meant to allow that light to be spread. There are spectators And there are witnesses who will admit, yeah, I not only was there, I believe it. You ought to hear about it too. And then there are people who go beyond that and support and say, I am on their side. I want this for others. They became supporters, these wise men. And then I believe they became activists. The wise men were one of the first nonviolent movements recorded in the Gospels. Remember, Herod had told them to return and tell him everything, but their response showed the importance of seeing that if I believe this, if I follow this, that means it needs to change the way I respond to the powers of this day, to the power of money, to the power of reputation, even to the power of power and friendship. And so the wise men boycotted Herod. It says they went home by another way. They weren't spectators or witnesses. They were supporters who changed the way that they live. Their message was clear. It was a choice between peace and the violence of Herod, the life of the baby and the death of the king, the darkness of our world and the light. They had no fence left to sit on. They couldn't sit on the fence anymore. They had to choose. They remembered, as we said last week, that Christmas is not the end of the story. It's D-Day. It marks the invasion of the light where everybody now has to choose sides. And they decided, just like the shepherds, to go home by another way, but to go home. And as they went home, to tell everybody what they had seen. We're going to close our meditation with that song, Go. Go tell it on the mountain. It's a a, a song that we don't know who wrote it, but it was written down by John Wesley Work Jr., African-American, right at the end of the Civil War. It was a slave song. We, We like to call it a Negro spiritual. It was a slave song. He wrote down, with no hope of earthly freedom, probably unable even to read the Bible, slaves without names, Imagine better than we can 
the work of the shepherds. Light from heaven frightened them, and the news that was so good that they had to see it meant that the shepherds found grace and love from God that let them go home to their fields, whether they were shepherds watching sheep or slaves picking cotton, and no freedom at last. As we celebrate communion together of the baby who became king, who became savior, we're going to retell the same story. Come and see. Come and see the secret that God is letting out into the world. And then we're going to say, go and tell. Come and see and go and tell. Let's sing that familiar song. And I've asked Paul if as we get to the last two verses, they are new verses, if, if he would lead them in singing verses that the slaves sang that we have lost along the way. Would you stand and tell it on the mountain?